And then I love getting to come back to Canada or wherever and get to say, this child knows the impact that you made on them. And for me, that's the best part is, you know, making the world feel more connected in that way for the people that are involved in all aspects of Tribe of Lands. Welcome to the Plant-Based Entrepreneur Show with your host, Jerry Saber. Hi, and welcome to episode 23 of the Plant-Based Entrepreneur Show. I'm your host, Jerry Saber, and this is the podcast for you if you're looking for inspiration and ideas on how to get started or if you want to learn more about the skills to run a successful plant-based business. If you're listening to this on your phone, and you most likely are, the Plant-Based Entrepreneur Show is available both on iTunes and on Stitcher Radio. So if you're using either of those services, I would really appreciate it if you could take a minute of your time and click subscribe and write us a review, because this way we get to reach even more people and spread the awareness and the advice that our guests are sharing. Also, if you haven't already, go grab our free insider report on the biggest plant-based business opportunities in 2017. We just published it a couple weeks ago. It has an overview of the seven fastest growing sectors, along with an analysis of the competition and funding requirements and the challenges for each. And you can download it from our website at theplanbasedentrepreneur.com forward slash business ideas. So now with that, let's get started with today's interview. I'm very pleased to be talking to Bobby Joe Pedel, the vegan founder of a not-for-profit company that, well, I really urge you to just go check them out when you're done listening to this interview, because I think that you'll find their website just radiates positive energy. They're called Tribe of Lamps, and they design beautiful ethically made jewelry to raise funds that go to helping HIV-positive children and those affected by HIV in India. So this interview is about compassionate consumption, about the good work that Bobby and her team do, and about the specific challenges of building a fair trade company and establishing a production line in India. So, Bobby, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jerry. It's nice to be here. <laughs> oh, thank you for joining me all, all the way from uh, India. I think our, our connection is good. What, what time is it over there? It's kind of evening, right? Uh, yeah, it's 6.30 in the evening, so I'm about 11 hours ahead of you. Yeah, but um, yeah, good. You seem to be coming loud through loud and clear. And now before we get started, I just want to give our listeners some background first. So I'd like to hear more about you, like where where did you grow up and was there any indication whatsoever at any point that you'd be one day supervising the production process of your own company in India? Yeah, I, mean, I love how that's the first question because it's, I mean, no, absolutely not. I, I grew up in a small rural area in southern Alberta in Canada and Believe it or not, my parents are cattle ranchers. So, uh, you know, it was kind of, you know, when I look back on the past few years of starting my own business and like how it just grew out of India and, and the sort of the habits and qualities of life, which became really important to me, are values that I wasn't necessarily raised on. So it was, uh, it was, uh, I mean, I've always been creative and I've always been independent and adventurous. So I guess it's, 
not really that foreign when I look at it that way. But in terms of where I came from, it's pretty far out. You yeah, know what I yeah. Mean? Cal ranching in in your vegan now so what's what affected yeah. <laughs> that change was, was that just rebelling against what your parents did or um, how did you get into veganism um i mean after the fact it was nice to rebel against my parents because now it's fun to debate with them but <laughs> it wasn't the initial um switch that turned me on to veganism it was actually on my first trip to india which was only um, just over three years ago, and I ended up in front of a guru, which I had no idea about guru culture um, or any sort of that like spiritual path. But um, being in that scenario really opened my eyes to having compassion for animals and all living things, which you can imagine as a child growing up as a cattle ranch, like in a family that raises cattle for beef, you, there's that disassociation. And so when I came and I really became in tune with like a spiritual side of myself, I, I began to see things really differently. And I had a really different understanding of the connection that myself and all people have with the planet. So yeah, it totally shifted. And then it's like, you know, once your eyes are sort of revealed, you can't go back from that. So it seemed ludicrous to come back to Canada and go back to eating meat. And, and then, you know, I think for a lot of veg people that go vegetarian, you can't, you the more you learn and the more you begin to understand about animal agriculture, then it seems like the natural progression to go towards veganism, which is the case. And I mean, not eating meat in India is actually it's the it's the best because it's the largest vegetarian population in the world. Eating um, not having dairy isn't necessarily as easy, but it's definitely a safe place for for us yeah um just you know i i don't really mean to pry but i just want to i want to understand how how that looked when you came back from india and it was like mom dad i'm i'm vegan yeah i mean i had another vegan friend so it was nice to have I think for anybody that lives a sort of alternative lifestyle which i mean veganism now is more mainstream but um, to like have friends that you can rely on and support each other and be like, well, you know, what do you do in these scenarios? What do you do in these scenarios? And now at first my parents, they really thought I was crazy. Like they couldn't even, they don't even think they know a vegetarian. So it's so strange for them. But now like three years later, they've accepted it. And before I left for India on this trip, my dad for the first time in his entire life made a full vegan meal, which like, that's a big step for someone that is a big meat eater, you know? So I think slowly, slowly, these things, people begin to understand, you know? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes the best thing you can do is simply lead by example and let the people exactly. who, who care about you just see that you're you're happy, you're thriving with what you're doing, the way you're eating, the way you're thinking, and just make make their own connections through through that. Exactly. And I think too, like, People like people like my parents, uh, you know, that, you know, we have very different views on life or whatever. But when they see like how I'm eating, it's also a reflection of how I'm living. You know, you I don't think that compassion is something that is limited to how you dress, like, you know, how I run my business or, you know, ethical fashion or something. It sort of all trickles in together. So they begin to understand it more when they understand my business and all the choices that I make in life are really rooted in compassion. So it kind of all makes sense to them now, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's 
really cool and you're mentioning ethical fashion and that fashion is actually your your professional background if i understand correctly right yeah i mean i i have kind of like a diverse background but before i um before i came to india i was working as a wardrobe stylist in toronto so i mean i love the fashion industry so much i have conflicting feelings about it i mean similar to as I do about the culinary world, you know, it's like, I find fashion very creative and inspiring. And it was always such a good outlet for me. But it's also can be misleading and very inauthentic. Because a lot of, you know, big name brands and advertising and the whole culture of fast fashion is built around dishonesty, really. And I, so when I was working in fashion, it started to like really pull at me, like, what is the impact that I'm making in the world? And is this really where I want all my good energy to go towards? So, I mean, it was good because it really did push me to get to where I am today. And now I'm excited to be back in fashion, but in like this new, exciting, thriving industry of ethical fashion, conscious consumerism. It's There's such a shift happening globally in fashion, whether it's with sustainability and body image. And I just feel like as like as a global consciousness, there's like an awakening happening. So it's actually a really exciting time to be a part of it in terms of like what we're doing and also to be a part of it as a consumer and a shopper and be able to make conscious choices with how I support the fashion industry. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I mean, we've had some really interesting discussions on that on the show so far. And I know that the things happening right now, exactly like you said, there there is a shift happening. It mm-hmm. might be, you know, years behind the shift that's already happened and or that's going on in, in terms of our, our diet and our food choices. But there is definitely changes going on both in the minds yeah. of consumers and on, on the production side. So you're, you're completely it's like, right. It's, yeah, it's really exciting because people now are like so mindful of what we put in our body, what we wear on our body, what impact every action that we make has, whether it's in directly or indirectly. So like I love like getting to like talk to other inspiring people and other people that are really at the forefront of it because it's so important and it's so exciting like we just said yeah and of course the the thing about what i think about the fashion industry and especially fast fashion is that a lot of those consequences are just so far removed from from the sight of a lot of people that it's Mm -hmm. only when you really open your eyes or you go travel like like you that you mm. realize what what consequences it it brings so it's true yeah yeah because for me like working in the fashion industry like i was primarily working in commercial fashion which utilizes a lot of brand names like eight fresh and zara and these big brand names which i never really put much thought into and like you said that when you go traveling and you actually get to see the impact and like it's you it's like a no-brainer you're like i i can't support these types of business models you know anymore and and i think that's you're right like fashion is slightly behind food because we don't necessarily see the direct impact but 
it's definitely there. Yeah. It's definitely a big impact. Yeah. Now, speaking of traveling, I, I read through the story on, on your website of how, how you got to, to India and uh, the, that was a bit of a soul searching trip that you had. And I'd love to know more about this journey that, that brought you there. If, if you are okay sharing. Yeah. yeah, no, I'm more than happy to share it. Yeah, like I said, I was working in Toronto and um, I was slightly in my career in fashion. It's like, like anybody that works in the fashion industry, I'm sure can attest to how much of a hustle it is. You really have to schlep up that ladder. And um, I mean, it's amazing because it really brings light to the question of, is this what I want? Because you really have to work so hard for it in that industry. And I was really building my career and like going up this, this ladder and I, could see sort of the future unfold for me of how it would look if I carried on in this commercial styling type of career but there was just something that wasn't fulfilling me so I decided to go try a different fashion in this um, network and I moved to Australia which proved to even be more competitive and more difficult and and um, so I again I just thought there's something here that's just not clicking for me and um, at that point, I spoke to my friend who actually, she's been living in India for the last five years, and I'd never even considered going to India. I thought India is a place you go when you're a really experienced traveler, or you're like really adventurous, or really, it was just, it was never on the radar. And because I, and I said to her, I'm like, I'm just searching for something, but I'm not sure what it is. And she said, come to India, like, this is the place where you'll find what you're looking for. And she actually helped me get a job here. So I, I came here on a whim with basically no money. And I just something called to me at me to come and I managed a little clothing market in a tourist area for about two weeks and then or sorry, two months. And then I started doing a volunteer position at a local orphanage, I was teaching dance lessons. And when you come to a place like India, the the poverty and the suffering and all those like you know it's right in front of your face like that's what I always say is that you know imagine in the west if you saw a four or five year old child on the street begging for money or begging for food that would make such an impact on you you would never forget that child's face you would never forget that moment but here it's just so common that the, these faces become faceless and nameless and that to me just wasn't sitting well. Like it, I felt such a sense of social responsibility. So from there, then I started like getting these ideas of, um, you know, how how can I how can I help these children? But what skills do I have? You know, it was kind of like I stayed here for seven months the first time, and it was kind of from there that the ideas for Tribe of Lambs took birth, if you will. Yeah. So it was working in an orphanage and just seeing all that suffering that started the idea but how 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 did the process actually go like from from the starting point when when you saw it and then when when you started getting the idea how how did it take shape yeah i mean i guess i was really lucky in the sense that i was here and i I was working in the orphanage and I was studying meditation and I was in a real place of like quietness. And like, so in that way, I was really lucky that many entrepreneurs might not have if they have like a really good idea and they don't necessarily have the time or the 
more mostly the time to develop that idea mm-hmm. but because I was here in northern India I got to go and like work with artisans and say like you know what if we could we make scarves like this or bags like this or rings like this and then at the same time like you know get to be keep working with the kids and and really look at different social businesses and and ethical companies that inspired me so I had the time to look at these ideas and see what worked for me and my friend that lives here she's a graphic she really has created a life for herself where she can you know live a life of freedom I think much like you like you get to live in Mexico and still work and and I saw these people around me that had really amazing jobs that they created for themselves and I thought that this was something I could create for myself so with the help of my friend who's a graphic designer we I thought of a name tribe of lambs we've made a logo and then we made a video and we launched a crowdfunding campaign which was amazing and we raised five thousand dollars in a month and I got to really take my products that I thought maybe I wanted to sell and test them out in the market so uh that was a you know really good thing for me but it did take a lot of research and switching and flopping and you know, making mistakes to actually develop what we are now almost two and a half years later, an ethical jewelry brand supporting HIV positive children in India. That's definitely not how it started. So how, how, how did it start? Like what, what was your first product line, the, the first thing that you crowdfunded in and launched that way? So our initial plan, which we still kind of are, but we wanted to be an, uh, an online retailer, if you will, that sells our own custom products that are made ethically or made fair trade and also is a hub, was a hub for other um, designs or other cooperatives or a platform for other artisans to sell their stuff. And then we were doing projects with all at-risk children. So I was kind of going around and the first project we did was with the home that I was uh, volunteering at. We Bought the, we bought 80 kids winter jackets because we're in the Himalayas. So it's snowy and cold and they didn't have winter jackets. So we raised all this money about the winter jackets, running shoes, underwear. And so it kind of just started from there. And then, you know, then slowly we thought, okay, now we have too many products. I'm just one person. I can't manage all this. So then we slowly started streamlining and focusing both our products and our projects to now be where we are today. How did that... Um... You know, the the thing about crowdfunding, what, what I notice is on, on the one hand, you see all these successful campaigns and people raising thousands and hundreds of thousands of, of dollars to, to launch their products. But on the other hand, you also, you can find all these horror stories about campaigns that actually go well. But then on the other hand, you have logistical problems with production and with distribution of of the products once they're actually supposed to go out. So did, did you run into any of those when, when you were launching your first line? Um, I mean, I think because our initial, we didn't actually meet our initial goal. It was $7,000 and we raised five, but because like at the time that seemed like a really big number, but now, you know, it's actually, I see now as with more experience, it's not, but I think we were lucky in that way that we weren't launching like a crowdfunding campaign for like $20,000 or something, which now I'm considering doing because I think crowdfunding is such an amazing 
platform for any entrepreneur that has any idea or wants to test something out. But yeah, you have to kind of be prepared. We definitely did didn't factor in the cost of actually being a part of a crowdfunding platform, you know, those fees that you had to pay and we underestimated shipping costs. And I never thought, okay, if I sell 20 uh, knit scarves, then I have to get these 20 knit scarves back to Canada. And I had to bring back two hockey bags and all these things on the local buses and all these things that at the time, and you're like, this is a great idea. And then you know, but we were lucky in that way that it was still small. So those mistakes that we made were actually just good learning opportunities. So wh- but I think it was. Wh- where do you put two hockey bags on, on local buses in, in India? Oh, gosh, you just buy an extra seat. You got your leg up on one. You got your aunt, this old, old lady sitting on another one. It's just like really funny. <laughs> you can laugh about after, but at the time, it's like really stressful, yeah, yeah. you know? I, I totally get yeah. that. So, um, yeah. who, who's the we that you are talking about here? Like, what, what does your team look like and where, where are they based? Are they mostly India or are you all over the globe and, and working online with them? How does that go? Yeah, so, well, our team is the best. There's um, there's three members working and owners of the tribe. It's myself and two of my best friends. So I'm really lucky in that way that we get to all work together. However, we're all based all over the world. So after I started the tribe, I came home and Danny, who has been my friend since I was eight years old, she's a has two daughters. She's a mom. She has a business background and she was really looking looking to do something to inspire her kids and do good in the world. So she kind of jumped into this unknown water and took the first leap with me, which I really needed her because I saw after the crowdfunding campaign, this isn't something I can just do on my own. And then next up came a good friend of mine uh, that I actually met in Australia and he's English. He came to India at the end of my crowdfunding campaign. He got to see the impact that even just that one month of fundraising made for these kids. And he was totally inspired. He has a marketing and uh, advertising background. So Phil came on and he traveled. He was living in Canada. He was living in England. He's just been in India with me for the last two months. So between the three of us, we're either in Alberta, in India, UK, Vancouver. And then just recently last year, we got a PR intern, Jamie, and she's great. And she's in Vancouver. So we're based kind of all over the world and different time zones and traveling, but we communicate really well because we're so lucky to live in that age where, you know, communication is so easy, just like we're talking now. And there's so many platforms for working remotely that somehow we just make it work and we remain friends and business confidants and it's great. Yeah. Um. What, what platforms do you use like I'm, I'm just trying to imagine because you you're in a place where i i'm assuming sometimes the internet connection is not super good and you're kind of working from the field and then you've got teams on you've got team members on the other side of the world so how, how does your regular work day look like in in that case well the um the number one platform that we use most regularly is Slack because I'm not sure if you've heard of Slack, yeah, but it's yeah. great. Um, and then believe it or not, like the Wi-Fi in India on, on the phone is pretty standard, like good. You know, I mean, a couple of years ago, I remember I faced, I was FaceTiming my girlfriend 
from a camel in the desert. <laughs> and I thought, because it's a country of a billion people and everybody has a phone here. So the, you know, the, the 3G and the 4G networks are pretty good. The Wi-Fi for doing work, like uploading products and sharing files on Dropbox and stuff can sometimes be challenging and you'll spend, I know Phil and I, you know, a couple months ago we were in Varanasi and it was this huge festival and we just needed to upload these products. And we spent like four hours going from cafe to cafe to cafe trying to find a good Wi-Fi connection. So it kind of humbles you in a way that you, when you come home and you get really good Wi-Fi all the time, you appreciate it a little more. Yes, I, I totally get you on, on that point as well. I mean, we've we've traveled across Asia as well and we were doing a blog at the time and I remember it was always just a struggle <laughs> every day to find a place that would have a good Wi-Fi connection so we could upload that yeah. base videos and stuff like that. But on the other hand, just like you said, it, I think it's, it's a trend in a lot of um, developing countries that the internet data connection is actually improving a lot because often what I notice is that the the calls or just texting someone on the phone is actually more expensive than connecting with them with WhatsApp, for instance, or, or mm -hmm. going on Facebook. So the, the data connections are actually cheaper and and better than, than trying to talk to someone on the phone. That's exactly. It's yeah. pretty it's pretty crazy. Like I just got this um this thing. It's called the Geo. It's just a portable essentially a uh, internet router you can take anywhere and it's six dollars a month for one gigabyte a day it's just crazy like wow. that, that's accessible to anybody you know it's really impressive well that's thir 30 gigs per month which is that that's a pretty good amount if if you're just using it for for business purposes and if you're not uploading huge mm -hmm. files that's that's all that you need is that um, yeah. is that a local chip that you're using in there, or how does it work? Yeah, it's a local chip, and it's a Indian. It's a new Indian phenomenon, really. Everybody's got these routers now, and okay, you know, you go into the cafe, and people are no longer hooking up to the to the in, the cafe's Wi-Fi. They just pull out their geo box or whatever <laughs> that's that's nice that's really nice yeah. i mean i i imagine it makes your life a lot easier as well in in terms yeah, of work exactly exactly cool. so now we were talking about your your team and and managing all that work what what did you personally have to learn when you started this company as as a director as a founder what what were some personal and some professional challenges or biggest learning points that, that you had to do? I mean, at the beginning, I thought it was a really simple concept. I'll just buy and make things in India and come home to Canada and sell them and take the money back. But that's like, of course, not how it panned out. And it was my first time starting a business, never mind, you know, working in India. So it was kind, it's kind of been like, a crash course in business and design and sales and e-commerce as well as really diving into the sustainable and ethical fashion industry and and then on the other side of our business model I've really got to experience and learn and grow 
in my knowledge base of world issues like poverty and illiteracy and of course now HIV which is our main cause so those things like I never in a million years thought that I would know all the things that I know now but those things we've just learned through making mistakes and being in India and learning about Indian culture and how the current political and issues affect the current social issues and you know so I'm learning and then when I come back to Canada you have to learn about the sales and um, even website things like analytics and SEO these are all new things to me so every day it's just like you have to keep learning and you know there's obviously I know any entrepreneur can say there's a lot of times of doubt and isolation but you just kind of have to keep going. And then when you come out of those challenges and you move beyond those roadblocks, it's, you know, it's good for your character building because you become stronger and you can share that little bit of insight that you've learned with other people who are starting out or, you know, yeah. just want to get inspired, you know? Yeah, totally. I mean, on, on the one hand, you absolutely need to transform yourself into a human sponge and just absorb all all the information that you need and on the other hand just like you said you not only have to be resilient to to pressure you actually have to keep on growing even when everything is kind of going wrong or when you're stumbling or whatever you you just have to keep on mm -hmm. and i think at the end of the day like you know I know I'm sure so many entrepreneurs, you start a business and it doesn't work out or anything. But for me, I know no matter what happens with this business, I'll come out just a much stronger person and much more worldly and knowledgeable, compassionate human. So it's just been such a blessing to like be confronted with all those issues and, and having to keep focused on the big picture while doing all the little tasks. It's been really good and for life lessons as well. Yeah, well, I think that any business that's really aligned with who who you are should definitely include life lessons too. To. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. If, if we just track back to to your team now, um, you you were mentioning the the people who are working remotely with you. How about the people that you work with with locally? Like, where where's your production line based or who, who are the artisans that, that you work with in India? So we are currently partnered with an artisan workshop in Pushkar and Jaipur. We work with about four workshops and um, the main, the main, um, the three brothers, actually, it's a family business. So we deal with them. We go, we head over there, we bring our designs and they have a few head sample makers so we have a lot of fun for a few days creating samples and saying this will work this won't work costing things out and then from there we create molds and then the products go into the workshops which are super fun to visit as well and because I'm not a jewelry maker I'm a jewelry designer and this job kind of just evolved into something that I've had to take on so it's been an amazing learning process and it's been amazing to find a good producer in India where I can feel comfortable and I can know that we're closely aligned with them that I feel comfortable knowing our products are made ethically and um yeah it's it hasn't been easy though we've switched producers a lot of times for only being around for three years but it's 
it's a part of the process, I guess, is you have to really come here and you have to go on the ground. You have to meet with people and you really get a feel for for different people in business. Is this is this person working fairly or are they not, you know? Yeah. And I have to say regarding the, the designs, are, are those mostly yours or all of them your designs of, of jewelry? Well, it's actually a really collaborative experience, which is great because like I said, I'm not a jewelry designer by trade, so I'll bring my designs and sometimes I'll get a laugh and they'll say, no, no, we can't make that. And also because they're trained so traditionally here that sometimes um, the designs are like what's happening in the, you know, for us in terms of trends or styles and jewelry, like it's just they've never seen something like that before. So we there takes a lot of back and forth. So a lot of the designs are mine some of them are collaborative and then of course if we see designs that we really love of theirs we'll 100% pick them up and it's always fun for them too because they love getting to see their designs on our website knowing that the money that we make from their designs goes back into their community for people in need and these kids in need so they're really open to working with us because we have that circular business model so it's really nice because I know for some people who have to deal with production in India, it can be more of a challenge. So we've been lucky in that way. Yeah. And I mean, just what I was trying to say with your designs is from what I've seen on your website, you really, you're very good at walking the line between making them just beautiful and delicate and still making them robust enough that even I think guys would be happy wearing a lot of the stuff that that you're putting out. It's it's very unisex. I mean, I, I think it's very attractive to, to both men and, and women, the, the jewelry that you're putting out. Great. Thank you. And Jerry, you'll be excited to know that we're launching the men's collection in the next couple of months. So Okay. That. Yeah, so we are hoping to like open up some new avenues by adding more products for men because we aren't just simply a jewelry line. We want people to wear Tribe of Lambs jewelry and to share the message and to share the story. So obviously it's equally as important for men to wear our products as women. So that's kind of where we're we're headed right now. Yeah, that, that's good to know. And just one more kind of technical question because I've, it's just the technical part of me that wants to know when, when you're designing is that pencil and paper or are you using any any computer tools for for what you're making we use photoshop mostly and i mean we once we get to india like i use photoshop to put my ideas and my simple designs together but i don't have the actual skills necessary to take my ideas from my head and put them onto a piece of paper so when I get to India and we're making the samples we go through each one piece by piece and that's when the pencil comes out because I'll say to them well can you we you know do this stone bigger or this band smaller and we sort of go from there and then once the sample maker he starts making the samples we go back and forth again and kind of is it's a lengthier process but it's what we're faced with so we just do it and have fun and be patient because it takes a while sometimes yeah and and then of course right now you're not selling these only through crowdfunding you have an online store on on your website and uh, you work with distributors as as well right how, how does that yeah. part of your business look like so yeah we 
we sell primarily online and then we have a few um, online retailers that carry our products, which, I mean, we have an Etsy shop. There's a couple companies, one's called Helpsy, one's called Barrel On. They actually work as a platform for ethical companies to sort of reach a broader audience. So we work with them and then we've just this past year gotten into a few stores. So we're like growing very slowly, slowly. And then we also travel across Canada doing markets and trade shows, which I really love because I love getting to meet people face to face because so much of our business that we do in Canada is online. Whereas when I'm in India, I get to meet with the people and be with the kids. And so to actually get to go to markets and to go to pop-up shops and go to events and talk to people that are interested in ethical fashion and conscious consumerism and share the story and like share where it's come from and where it's going. That's actually a really exciting part of it. Yeah. I, I totally, totally get you there. So um, now speaking of tribe of lambs and you you've mentioned the men's line what what are the past milestones that that you've achieved like some some goals that you reached some some product projects that you funded and what what else did you do so far for for children um well at the end of last year we I mean, it's like anything when you're in the when you're in the mix of having your own business it's and you're looking at all the things that you need to improve on. Sometimes it's hard to look back and think of where you came from. But at the end of the year, you always have your annual meeting and we think, wow, okay, this is what we've created from nothing. And where we're at now is we've reached almost 600 children. We just finished in February. We fulfilled on our sixth compassion project and we've raised um, just about $24,000, which For us, is a lot, but for a bigger company, it might not be so much. But I think it's a good place to grow from, and um, you know, our customer database is growing, and our followers are growing. So, you know, each little each little milestone, whether it's like, oh, we're over this many followers, or we've got another project, all these things are are important for us to keep our attention on. And I think any entrepreneur should keep their attention on those little victories as well as the big ones you know yeah and i mean i have to say that's almost a five-fold growth on on your first project which i think is a very respectable rate of growth yeah so you look at i it think like so that. yeah yeah okay that's good <laughs> thanks um, talking of growth what what are your channels for for doing that besides distributors and just meeting people how, how do you grow and how, how do you get your message out what's your preferred method what what works the best for you um, I mean we are you know young millennial entrepreneurs in the digital age <laughs> so it's just the world that we live in it's crazy now how connected we are on social media so for us that is the biggest and fastest and most instant way to reach people especially when we're traveling I know for the last two months we were crazy on our Instagram stories and we got so many messages from people like loving seeing our day-to-day projects we're doing with the kids and literally seeing the products come to life from going on the paper to going into the workers hands going to the workshop and then suddenly out comes a mold and then the next day out comes the silver ring and then you know like so it's crazy sometimes that it's so instant but 
it's just finding the the niche that works for you, you know. And for us, that's that's really that's it for sure. Yeah, yeah, I can totally see that, especially with what you are doing. I mean, it's definitely true that these days people just want to know what's going on behind the scenes. They want to connect with you as a person, even if you are a brand, they want to feel like they're connected to you personally. And if mm -hmm. you're showing them how your production process looks from all the starts and all the designs and then molding and then finishing it up and then finally having that ring or whatever you're doing finished, I think that that is really a good way to, to reach and, and to connect with people, especially mm -hmm. if you're, if they're also young millennials. I, I kind of feel old when you use that term, young millennials, because I, I think I'm on the tail end of the millennial generation. But I mean, I'm on the tail end too, but I sometimes still like to utilize it. Actually, I didn't even think I was a millennial until then someone said, no, you're a millennial. <laughs> but I mean, when you embrace it, you can use it to our advantage, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to do that too, although I have to admit that social media sometimes is still a bit of a challenge to me. Like, yeah, I, I it is difficult. It really, it is. Yeah, if, if, if you didn't grow up in, in the era when, when Facebook was normal and Twitter and, and Instagram and everything, it's... Well, I, I guess you, you have to adapt and you just get, mm -hmm. get used to it. And, and out of social media, I think, too, another um, platform for us to grow has been collaboration. And the thing, the beauty about the social media is that it's allowed us to connect and collaborate with other social entrepreneurs or mm -hmm. other peop uh, people working for advocacy and HIV across the world. So it's, you don't get to only collaborate with your local community, you get to collaborate worldwide. And that's a direct result of social media so in that way it's also been really amazing for us yeah now if we just um kind of look look at this from the other side would you mind sharing the biggest challenge that you've had with with your business so far yeah i mean it's hard to sort of sum it up when you know every day the challenge is sort of like in a different department if i'm thinking of a regular business but For me personally, the uh, understanding the financial, the technical and legal sides of business have been challenging because I'm a creative person, I'm a people person, and learning those skills and having to be confronted with those challenges have definitely been difficult, but now it's kind of what you have to go through. I'm sure for people on the other side, having to take on roles in a creative field or sales or talking to people or traveling across the world would be challenging as well so it's nice to be able to be on both sides and then also from that also rely on each other and our team because we all have complementary skills to overcome the challenges that we each have and then put most of our attention on the areas that we like so was and it, that we excel at was it your team that helped you get over the um the legal challenges that you were mentioning about understanding all, all those aspects of the business? Yeah, I mean, for all of us as first-time entrepreneurs and friends, of course, there's like an ongoing dialogue about this problem or that problem or money or technical issues. And for us, we had to deal with a lot of 
um, ups and downs with the legal entities of being a registered nonprofit being versus, versus being a social enterprise. And there was so much back and forth that had I not had those two colleagues and friends alongside, I don't know if any of us could have handled it on our own, you know, so we we're really lucky in that way, because I know being an entrepreneur, especially an entrepreneur that has a web based business can be very isolating. And uh, so we we're lucky in that way that we yeah, got to overcome all the challenges together. What in a nutshell, what is the difference between being a not for profit and being a social enterprise? just in case someone is wondering right now. Yeah, no, that's okay. I mean, we still, op we now are a social enterprise, but we operate our business as a non-for-profit because we redistribute 100% of our profits into our projects. But as, as far as the um, Canada Revenue Agency is concerned, there's a lot, a lot, a lot of red tape that you have to go through to be a registered non-profit, which is great because you don't want anybody just trying to take advantage of tax breaks and things like that. Um, but the main thing is when you look at a nonprofit, there's a board of directors and a, and a board members. And we didn't, we don't have the network or community to have a board of directors to have board members and to have employees because we're essentially all of those things. So for the time being, we are, have structured our business as a, as a social enterprise, but it's definitely on our goals to transition back to nonprofit and even work into having a tribe of lambs charity or foundation because it's such a key part of what we do is that our whole business is based around giving back and based around our projects and based around advocating for HIV positive children. So it's unfortunate that there's, you know, the legal structures of um, business have you know kind of had to pull us back but it's all again like a learning curve you know and you just have to do what works for you and use the resources that you have yes and I, I can totally see how this could grow into or incorporate a, a charity as well it, yeah it, it is totally you yeah exactly so we can see it there and it's like we obviously want to be uh, in the guidelines so that we're operating as straight and narrow as possible. So, you know, time marches on and we go step by step and just keep our, like I said before, our attention focused on the big picture and and see how it goes from there. Is, is there anything in particular that you just wish that you had known when you were starting this out? I mean, I want to say I wish I would known how difficult it would be, but actually, if I would have known, I probably That's would have prob started. Probably not not a thing that <laughs> that you want to know when you're starting something out. You don't want to know how how many obstacles you're going to be facing or how hard it's going to be. Um, I don't know. I just I have zero regrets about everything. It's been really beautiful to see Tribe of Lambs blossom and grow into its own entity it's sort of this own living breathing structure now that you know it's really profound in a way and it's really touching for me to see the impact that can be made from all these little parts that have come together and all these amazing people that have supported us from the beginning but in terms of what I wish I would have known I don't know I guess 
I, I don't, I think it's been great. So I don't, I can't answer that. <laughs> That's cool. What, what's the most rewarding part of, of what you do? For me, the most rewarding part for sure is working with the children. It's something that I never necessarily thought I was passionate about. And after getting to work with so many amazing kids that are faced with so much struggle and so much hardship in life and to see them, you know, and see the impact that our work makes on their lives has been the best part of Tribe of Lambs for me. And also because I get to sort of, I get the gift of being the middleman. I get to work in both these two different worlds and, you know, get to sort of act as that bridge and be that connection and make the world seem a little smaller, both for these kids. And I get to say, do you want to go look at the map? Do you know where Canada is? Do you know where UK is? Do you know where all, like, all these places are? These people are are wearing these jewelry and they love tribe of lambs. They're always, they've got the, they love the lamb and they know people buy tribe of lambs to support them. And, and I love getting to share that with them. And then I love getting to come back to Canada or wherever and get to say, this child knows the impact that you made on them. And for me, that's the best part is, you know, making the world feel more connected in that way for the people that are involved in all aspects of tribe of lambs. Yes. Yes. I, I totally get that. And that, I think, brings us very well to, to the question that I kind of try to work into every interview about what, what kind of future are you helping create with your work? Like, not just Tribe of Lambs, but what's your best case scenario vision for, for the world in 10 to 20 years? And what's your part in it? Oh, that's such like a loaded question. But yes, it is I really keep the exciting. best for last. I mean, like we talked about earlier, there is such a shift happening. So it is such an exciting time for people like us to be moving forward in our different avenues and different platforms. But like we are all definitely moving towards a common goal of, you know, having a planet that we love and respect and having a global community that we empower and support. And, you know, there's all these like looming issues happening everywhere and sometimes it's you know you go on to social media or whatever and it's just bad news bad news and sometimes people get really bombarded with the chaos and the this everything that's going on but for me I actually see it as a the beautiful thing about it is is that the response to all of this is you know all these young people and even people of all ages coming together and rising up together and moving towards a better planet and moving towards ending social injustice and there's just so much good happening amongst all this you know other negative social world issues and everything so for me I think in 10 to 20 years it would just be what's happening now but on an even bigger scale and you know all the issues that are happening right now they're they're solvable all we have to do is work together and it's just such a good time to have community and like I said, we're so connected with the internet so we can have global communities with people that we don't even know, but we're all working towards those same collective goals. And and I'm, Tribe of Lambs is just aligned with that and where we're moving towards. Yes, yes, I, I totally see what you're talking about because technology, even though it can show us 
the worst of, of humanity sometimes when when you're really unlucky scrolling down your your social media feed I, I think on the other hand it has such huge potential for for connecting us for making exactly. us more, more and, human and it's so and, and like you said before it's about leading by example and if we get to are offered the opportunity to show other people hey it's not that hard to shop consciously it's not that hard to eat prop like sustainably it's not actually that hard because there's people all over the world that are doing good for themselves and doing good for others in everyday choices that we make and it's totally attainable it's just right there so it's nice that we get the opportunity to share that with other people yeah is there anything in particular that you'd like to share with anyone who's considering starting an ethical business or a fair trade production company I think that they should just go for it. I think as, you know, I, I, like we just said, there's, it's, it's the time, the time is now. Like if anybody wants to do anything, if you're passionate about anything, just go for it, you know, and now's the time to get into anything that has to do with sustainability or saving the planet or saving the people because there's, the planet needs to be saved and there's people that need to be empowered and, You know, we're the lucky ones that we come from Western cultures and amazing countries that allow us the opportunities to do anything that we want, anything that we want. So I would encourage anybody to go for it. And if you fail, just get up and try again. You know what I mean? I, I totally know what you mean. If, if you can do anything <laughs> that you want, then why not do good? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That, that's great. Bobby, now last question. You know what it's going to be. Where where can people find out more about Tribe of Lamps? Where can they buy your products? Where can they become a distributor if if they want to connect with you? Well, the best way to connect with myself or any of us at Tribe is visit our website, which is www.tribeoflamps.com. And first and foremost, I always encourage people to shop and purchase a product because that's what keeps our business sustainable and that's what allows us to help more kids or donate to us or donate to one of our partners who information is also available on the website. Follow, share our social media, or read our blogs. Um, and then if anybody that's listening to this podcast has any connections with any other organizations doing similar work to ours or in ethical fashion or HIV or AIDS advocacy anywhere in the world. I would, you know, I always want to reach out to people or connect with people that are doing similar work because like I said, like collaboration and community is what keeps us all going. Right. That, yeah. that is great. Thanks a lot so much for that, Bobby. I really enjoyed our talk today. And I, I think that um, you, you've shared a lot of really useful information about just the kind of business that you are building the business model that that you have so even for people who are maybe not into ethical jewelry i think they can get a lot of really good info for that so for that i i thank you very much well thank you very much jerry for having us we really appreciate it and we love chatting about these kinds of topic so appreciate you creating the platform for it yeah and i'm i'm really looking forward to seeing what what this grows into during the next thank few you. years great great thanks thanks a lot and uh have an amazing um evening 
it's evening, right? Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you have a great day. <laughs> great. Thank you. Okay, take care. All right, that was Bobby Joe Pedel, the founder of Tribe of Lambs in episode 23 of the Plan-Based Entrepreneur Show, giving us her insight of what it takes to run an ethical, not-for-profit startup. If you want to know more about the Tribe of Lambs' amazing line of products, or if you want more info on anything that we talked about in the interview, you'll find all the links in the show notes that we take for you, and they're available, as always, on our website. So if you go to theplantbasedentrepreneur.com forward slash show forward slash episode 023, or if you simply go to our homepage and search for episode 23, that's where you'll find everything. Also, don't forget that our website is where you can get your free copy of our insider guide to the biggest plant-based business opportunities in 2017. So if you're looking for vegan business ideas, go grab it today, start something that matters, and perhaps we'll be talking about it on the show in the near future. For anything else that you want to share, you can always reach me directly on Instagram at jerry underscore saver or write me an email on jerry at theplantbasedentrepreneur.com if you have any questions about the podcast, any suggestions for future episodes, or if you have any plant-based business ideas worth sharing, I'd love to hear from you. Now that wraps things up for today. I'll talk to you again real soon. And until then, just stay awesome and keep creating a plant-based future.